Welcome to Broken Catholic, the number one Catholic voice in America. On this show, I talk about the important things that no one else is talking about, like why the world isn't working right now. The Protestant Reformation is over. Christians now have more commonalities than differences, yet evil is spreading and the enemy is winning because we're still fighting each other over self-righteous labels and high-level theology. If you disagree with me, then you're part of the problem. Listen, as Christians, we're all baptized into God's family. We all want heaven, and we all struggle with the same human brokenness. United we stand, divided we fall, it's that simple. I'm your host, your coach, your friend, Joseph Warren. I'm also a broken Catholic and former atheist who was almost murdered twice. But God spared me because he had a higher purpose for my life. My mission is to unify Christians everywhere. This show was created for you, the person who wants to be accepted and loved and reminded that God has a higher purpose for your life. Let's get started. Today, our featured guest is uh, a, a former paid enforcer in London's East End. His jackets were tailored to hold his machete and knuckle dusters. His drug deals netted him thousands. He had a penthouse, sports cars, and many women. He nearly killed a man outside a nightclub. Then something extraordinary happened. God entered his life powerfully. John Pridmore, my guest today, has spoken to millions around the world about his past and present life and inspired thousands through his powerful talks, conferences, and parish missions. John is what we call a Catholic evangelist. John Pridmore, welcome to the show. You could uh, reach him at johnpridmore.com. That's johnpridmore.com. John, welcome to the show and fill in some of the gaps in that intro, would you? Sure, yeah. I was born in the East End of London. I was baptized a Catholic, but never brought up in any faith. So I never went to church. I never went to a Catholic school. At the age of about 10, my parents told me that I had to choose who I wanted to live with because they were getting divorced. And I spent the two people I loved and trusted in this world had really crushed me inside. So I think I made an unconscious decision you know, it wasn't a conscious thought, but an unconscious decision that if you don't love, you don't get hurt. And so um, at, my mum sort of had a breakdown. Um, I think it was the guilt of the marriage breaking up. My dad remarried. And with my stepmom, there was a lot of violence, you know, families coming together. Um, my dad, I think, because of that violence, became very violent himself. And so there was a lot of abuse in my childhood which added to my pain. At about 13, I started stealing. And I think the main reason was a cry for help. I wanted someone to see the pain that I was in. I wanted someone to notice that I was very unhappy. Um, but because my dad was a policeman and there was a lot of violence, it, he became more violent. And so it just added to my pain. Um, at 15, I was put in my first youth prison and I actually thought it was better in there it was a more safe environment to be in prison than being at home because I didn't get so many beatings. So I left home when I came out of there at 15. And because I hadn't been to school much and hadn't paid much attention at school for the last few years of schooling, I left home with no qualifications. In fact, my probably only qualification was stealing, so that's what I did. Um, at 19, um, I lived off the streets for those uh, four years, really. At 19, I was in prison again. And this time, because of the way I dealt with the abuse I suffered as a kid, 
was through being angry, you know, like trying to push people away with the violence, with the anger, not letting anyone get too close to me. I spent most of that prison sentence in solitary confinement. And the way I describe it is it's like having a mirror put in front of you. And because I hated what I saw in that mirror, I hated myself and what I had become. I truly thought about taking away the greatest gift of God, which was my life. Um, I didn't take my own life, and I think that was purely God's grace. Um, but I came out of there a bit like the caged animal, very angry, very bitter. I love fighting, so I thought, well, I'm going to get paid for fighting. And the way you get paid for fighting where I was from in London was bouncing at the rough clubs. So I started bouncing at these rough clubs. And I met some guys who seemed to have everything. You know, they walked into a club and everyone stopped because they had disrespect all for the wrong reasons. And I wanted that respect. I wanted that power. And so I started working for these people. And, you know, the first job they give you is to go down to the um, port of Dover and they tell you where this Land Rover is and give you a set of keys and you go down and pick up this Land Rover, bring it back to London and you get paid like five grand, um, 5,000 pounds. And you knew it was full of cocaine, but, you know... The more jobs like that you did, the more they trusted you and the more you became one of them instead of just being implored by them. And in a very short space of time, um, I was setting up my own jobs. I was setting up my own imports. I was set, and I became a paid enforcer for one of the biggest uh, drug dealers in London. And he ran a lot of the clubs in London and owned a lot of the clubs. And I can't really say, because some of them are quite famous, and people actually think they're owned by other people. So, And I think they're still owned by his son now, even though he's passed away. And so I got the trappings to go with that lifestyle. I had the penthouse apartment, as you said, in St John's Wood in London. I had the sports cars, the 7 Series BMW, the Sport Merc convertible. I was earning so much money, I couldn't spend it. Like an average... I would say I was earning, even in them days, fifteen to £20,000 a week. So it was like so much money. You just, it was, um, whatever you wanted, you had. And the promiscuousness um, was part of, I think, the painkiller. Because your conscience violences every day. You're, you know, going, one, one kid who worked with me and lived with me for a while, he said that I think, he was only 12 years old, but he said, I would have made a good gangster. And I said, oh, do you think so? I said, so when you're sent to torture someone's seven-year-old son because they're not going to pay a drug debt, would you do that? And he said, no, no, that's sick. And I said, well, then you wouldn't have made a good gangster. But I became very good at it. And I got, as I said, trappings. But because my conscience was crying out, the painkillers had to be very strong. So I was on crack cocaine. I was smoking dope like it was going out of fashion drinking really heavy, gambling, very promiscuous, many times waking up with girls, not even knowing their name. And I expect the more you go into that lifestyle and the more painkillers you take, the more you start dying inside, you know. Um, if that makes sense, the more you start really decaying inside and your soul starts crying out that there must be something better than this. So on the outside, everyone thinks you're so affluent, so you know, driving around, staying in the best hotels, buying whatever you like. But on the inside, there's a, a real pain that you're trying to suppress. Wow. 
Well, John, I asked for, uh, you know, I was filling some of the gaps in the intro and you gave me the whole story and that was perfect. That was awesome. And so powerful that God went into all that mess and, yeah. uh, you know, pulled you out. You were the lost sheep out of the 99. And, uh, yeah, and it wasn't, you know, like uh, some people, they speak about nice conversions, you know, where, you know, they suddenly find mine was not a nice conversion. Like I was working at a club that we part owned in the West End of London. I truly thought I had killed this guy. Um, the only reason I hit this guy with these brass knuckles was to impress an underworld boss who was there. And my biggest fear was the fact that I killed this guy and I didn't care. It was the fact that I didn't care about taking a human life. I didn't care that he might have kids. I didn't care he might be married. That's how dead and, uh, you know, putrid I had become inside. Um, I came in this normal night. Um, it was probably about a week after this incident because I couldn't work the clubs that we owned and I couldn't get involved in more violence because the police would be on you straight away. I had to keep low profile. And so I had a bit of time on my hands over this week. And I just started, you know, realizing how empty my life was. But I came in this normal night and the viewers, the listeners would be aware of this. I felt a voice speaking to me. And you can say it's your conscience, but I felt it was actually God speaking to me. And I knew I was dying there and then. And I knew I was going to hell. And it's interesting in my life now, I've met a lot of people who think that when they meet God, they'll be able to tell him, give him a piece of their mind and all that. <laughs> if this was anything to go by, I tell you, there was no two-way conversation. I knew I was dying there and then, and I knew I was going to hell. There was no argument. There was no asking my opinion. <laughs> it was That was the reality. And I was petrified. Like Even the thought of it now makes my hands sweat with fear. And I cried out for another chance. Not because I was repentant, not because I was sorry, but I didn't want to go to hell. It was pure self-preservation. And the instant I cried out for another chance, I felt lifted up. And I walked out of this apartment where I was, and I said the first prayer I'd ever said in my life. I said, up to now, all I've done is take from you, God. Now I want to give. Now I want to be yours. And I felt the Holy Spirit come pouring into me. And it was the greatest sense of love pure love I'd ever felt in my life. Up to that point, I always thought I was useless. I don't think it mattered whether I lived or died. I remember saying to a gangster friend of mine, there's only two ways we'd end up, dead or life imprisonment. And it doesn't matter. But in this, in this moment of pure love, I knew it did matter because not only did God love me, but he had a plan for me. The only person I knew out of faith was my mum. I didn't see a lot of her in them days. I might give her an expensive present when I felt guilty. Um, but this night I went around and told her what had happened to me. She told me she had prayed for me every day of my life. And that nine days before this, she had done a novena, which is nine days of prayer, to the patron saint of hopeless cases, St. Jude. And it was on the ninth day of my mum's novena that I truly believed I heard the voice of God speak to me in my heart. And you can say it's a coincidence, but I say it's a God incidence that she was praying on that very end of her novena and I was a hopeless case. That's when God, that's when Our Lady, that's when St. Jude stepped in. You know, that's um, so, I had no... Yeah, that's so yeah, powerful, so John. That's so powerful because I think so many of us, it's like 
we know of God, we're raised with God in our different Christian denominations, but we never truly experience him in a tangible way. Like you experienced him in a way where you believe this is God speaking to me right now and showing me how ugly I've created my life, right? That like I am about to be damned to hell. And that was a grace, right? Such a grace from God to show you that. And like you said, you can't deny when you see what you've done your whole life. And, and I know if I looked at everything I've done my whole life, all the stuff I've tried to forget, like I would condemn myself, like right in that moment. And I think it's so powerful, right? That um, God gave you that experience. And I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, that it was your mother praying for you for all those years. And then finally finishing with that, that nine day novena for hopeless cases, her son being a hopeless case. Um, and that's where God's grace intervened. What do you, what do you have to say with that? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I would say you're spot on. I think that my mom had almost given up. She said that to me. She said that it was like a cry from a mother who'd been praying for their son all their life. One of the prayers she said in that nine-day novena is don't let him hurt himself or anyone else anymore. If it means him dying, then let him die, but don't let him hurt anyone else. And, you know, for a mother to say that about a son who she loves, it proves what a, how bad I can. And, you know, just because I know that there's listeners out there, you can't sometimes express how bad you was. But recently I went on holiday with my mum and there were some uh, guys on this plane who I knew had been involved in violence. I just knew because I had been involved in violence. And they were swearing, they were very, you know, discourteous to the people around them. And I just said to them, can you stop swearing because there's kids around, my mum's around, I don't want the swearing. And to cut a long story short, it got to the point where there was nearly violence, you know, on the plane. And then when I got off the plane, the ushers, the hostesses had obviously tipped off the Spanish police and they were there with machine guns and they sort of escorted me and my mum. And anyway, I got in the car with my mum, everything was fine. And I said, was you worried, mum? And she said, I was only worried because the veins were popping out of your head. You know, like I, that part of me was still there because they wasn't sort of um, willing to just apologise or think. But then I got, I said, well, we need to pray for these guys because I was never as bad as that. And my mum looked at me a bit funny when I said that. And here, yeah, we got back to where we were staying after praying a rosary for these guys. I'm doing an examination of conscience that night. And I said, thanks, Lord, for not making me like these guys. Instantly, I was taken into this situation where I nearly killed this guy in front of his six-year-old son kicked him half to death. And I don't say this in any way of uh, bragging. This is to give the viewers an understanding of how broken I was inside, how sick I was, how evil. About two weeks, three weeks later, I'm in a bar, a West End bar. His father, who I'd nearly killed, comes in. He starts giving out to me, 70-year-old man, not because I've half killed his son, but because I did it in front of his six-year-old grandson. And his other brother is there. And I took a glass, rammed it in this 70-year-old man's face. And I took a wasp stiletto, which is like a bayonet-type knife. And I just stabbed it straight through the shoulder, the chest of the other son. And, you know, as I walked out of the bar, I remember wiping the blade to make a big sort of thing. 
with one of those cloth bar mats to wipe the blood on that and just throw it at the barman as I walked out. And I felt God say, yeah, you was never as bad as them. I was wow. worse. But that yeah. person is so far removed from me that I don't even know who that person is. I can't even remember that person unless the Holy Spirit of God shows me that that person was really me. You know, that reminds me of the story that Jesus shares about the, uh, the Pharisee that, um, you know, he's praying in the temple and he's like, Lord, thank you for not making me as bad as that guy. Yeah. That person, so right? It's like so spot on. And it's like, how many times, Broken Catholic Nation, BC Nation, have you done that in your own life? What John is describing to you right now. How many times have I done that? Where it's like, well, man, I, I know I'm messed up, but I'm not as bad as that person. And yeah. God really has a different thing to say about it. Yeah. And it really shocked me at how, you know, bad and evil I really was. One poor Claire, who I, I know well, Mother Gabriel, she asked to read my book, and my book's quite raw, you know. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I wasn't too keen on giving her the book because I didn't want to sort of, you know, you know scandalize her. But she said, I'm not too easily scandalized. But I gave it to her, and she's in her 80s, you know. And I remember when, after reading the book, I said, what did you think? And she said, I've never met anyone who was so close to hell where our lady just plucked from the very gate. Oof. Wow, and that's powerful. That to me is how bad I was. And I want people to understand how much God's grace, um, if you allow it, can. it doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter where you're, how deep you're lost. God can bring you back instantly if you let him. Amen to that. John, I want to ask you this question. Maybe you answered it already, but uh, if you didn't expand on it, if you were to be 100% transparent right now, in what area of your life do you still struggle with? I know you mentioned the story with the violence on the plane. Is that the only area or is there something? No, else I would say on? definitely my temper is something that I struggle with. You know, even um, in London, uh, you're, you're driving. Thankfully, I live in Ireland where they're a bit more courteous. But, you know, the driving can stress me out and I can get angry. And, uh, you know, I, I often say to my passenger, if I was in my old days, I would have been out the car and dragging him through the window or whatever, you know. But thankfully, I haven't had a fight in 27 years. But it doesn't mean I haven't lost my temper in 27 years. Mm. So lust is another one. You know, I'm always struggling with lust. You know, that, that I think that's, I, I had a spiritual director once who died recently, God rest his soul. Um, Father Andrew Apostolo, who's quite famous in America, he's on EWTN. And I know he wouldn't mind me saying this, but when he was my spiritual director, I said sometimes, um, and now this guy was in his 70s then, and I said sometimes when I'm in the chapel, and I'm, you know, in the presence of Jesus, and I get all these bombardments of past sins of the flesh, and he said, well, when it happens to me, and I thought, my God, there's no hope. <laughs> He's 70 years old and it's still happening to him. And he said, I think of a, something beautiful like a Yankees game. But, you know, I just thought that that's that be with us till the day we die, a struggle we lost, you know. So as yeah. a man, I struggle with that. Um, but I struggle with selfishness. I struggle with pride arrogance you know they're the things that i'm bringing to god every time i'm going to confession every time i'm doing an examination of conscience 
John, that's powerful. Thank you for being raw and transparent about that. I'm going to shift the conversation for a second here. Um, why do you think, this is a question that I tackle a lot on the show. Why do you think that the world isn't working right now? Because I think it's clear to many of us that it's not working, that uh, we have all this divisiveness, all this hatred uh, labeling going on. Why do you think it's not working right now? I, I think because people aren't generous enough. I think that God, Jesus, sums it up very um, perfectly, that it's through giving in life that we receive, not through taking. I think that most people, they're very much concerned about themselves. They're very much about concerned about making enough money to live, making enough, making a success of their, um, you know, their job, making a success of their family. It's all about I, 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 me, 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 the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. Whereas I think the minute you take your eyes off yourself and you start actually giving to other people, when you start reaching out to other people, when you start realizing that your greatest joy is by giving. And I don't mean that you don't become successful at work, but I think that's what makes you successful at work. The fact that you're not self-possessed, that you're actually thinking of the wider picture of the people who maybe because you've got a decent salary, you can help some of those people by giving some of that salary away to the right charities that you believe in. I remember that film, I think it was called Schwartz with Jack Nicholson. And he's a guy, it's a great film actually, but he's a guy who's looking forward to his retirement with his wife. And he wants to go around America in an RV. And he, just before he's done do this, his wife dies. But he decides, even though he's broken hearted, that he'll stu- still go around America in the RV because he's retired worked all his life at one company, goes around in this RV after a few months, realises that there's nothing there, completely meaningless, gets back home and decides his whole life has been a complete waste of time. Gets a letter through the post, and the letter is about an African boy who him and his wife adopted, you know, through the post many years ago, and the money was just taken out their bank account. And it was 20 years ago. And you see, he sees 20 years of this little boy's life, how he's paid for his education. Now, this money, he's never seen the boy before, but him and his wife decided to do that. And he realizes the only thing of meaning in his whole life and his whole existence is this one act of where he's given. And he's there crying his eyes out at the joy that he's received of this one little act of kindness. And that's the end of the film. And to me, it sums up a lot of people's lives. And if you haven't done that one act of kindness, the canvas is completely blank. And I think people get caught up with self, you know, me, myself and I, my family, me, you know, it's still the same, the people who are closer, but they don't see the wider picture and the joy and the freedom you can get by serving and the healing you get, like the amount of healing I've received. You know, when I've worked with homeless guys, you know, I know what it's like to be without a home. When I've worked with people who are housebound, I know what it's like to be in prison like they're in prison. So I'm receiving that healing. When I've old 10-year-old kids in my arms who are dying from cancer, it's like holding a part of my heart in my arms because I know what it's like to be 10 and have no one love you. But I think it's through giving that we receive. And because people in our world today aren't generous at giving, then that's why the world's in such a state. And obviously there are people out there 
who really do understand that concept of giving, but they're normally the ones who are very happy and filled with everything that's good in life. John, let me ask you this. Um, there's more than 30,000 different Christian denominations on the planet Earth right now. Why do you think that the Christian world is still so, so divided 500 years later after the Protestant Reformation? I think maybe because people like to have their own, um, what's the word, their own will, their own pride, their own ego. And like that, to me, the reason why I'm a Catholic um, is because there's only one church that seems to have been there from when Christ walked the earth. And many other churches have come along, you know, like the Protestant church, and I've got some great Protestant brothers and sisters, but it was like the 15th century. Then you've got the Jehovah's Witnesses in the 18th century. You've got the Mormons in the 18th century. You know, it, it seems to me that there's one connection with Christ on earth, and that's the Catholic Church. The other thing where I found, me personally, I became a Catholic, is because of the Eucharist. I went to a retreat, I ended up going to confession for the first time in my life. I really tasted God's mercy and forgiveness in that sacrament. I had tried to confess direct to Jesus. It always felt exactly the same when I confessed direct to Jesus. But I went, I went to that guaranteed sacrament. It was like that's when I really tasted the gift of God's mercy and forgiveness. When I went to receive the Eucharist, I knew that that was Jesus. It was like I tasted heaven. Um, I tasted that grace which was beyond anything I'd ever experienced in my life. And two things happened as I received Jesus. I knew I'd be a Catholic till the day I died. And I knew it was the one true church on earth. So I think that a lot of people want to say their own point of views or they want to have their own ego. And that's where, unfortunately, corruption comes in. I remember St. Thomas More said, who obviously was beheaded rather than betraying the Catholic Church, he said that, you know, the church needed reforming, as Luther said, you know, as Martin Luther said. Um, but you don't reform from without. You don't leave an institution and you, you actually reform within. And uh, he, he felt that there was a lot of things in the church, as we all know, that can be corrupt or wrong because men are involved. But you stay within that body of Christ. And you John, I, I, th I think that's a powerful, powerful distinction that you just created there. I like to say that so often in my life um, that when people, like my brothers from different uh, Christian denominations, they, they say, well, listen, the Catholic Church needed reform. Um, back then, 500 years ago, and they're celebrating the 500-year anniversary. I was, and I, I, I reply back. I'm like, listen, the Catholic Church needed reform 100%. You're absolutely correct, like you're saying, John. However, when you reform something, you stay within the church and do the work that it takes to reform it, and that may mean dedicating the rest of your life to that cause, if that's what yeah. God's calling and putting on your heart. But when you leave the church and start your own, that's no longer a reformation, that's now a rebellion. Totally. And, and there is a complete distinction there. And now yeah. I think that was the crack that the enemy used to enter the church and to divide us as believers from the one holy apostolic universal church that Christ founded on planet earth. Yeah, and I think that's his aim is to always to divide, divide and conquer. And mm -hmm. the more he divides, the more he conquers. So, you know, to me, 
the very fact that there's so many churches out there, Christian denominations, is why he's running riot in the world. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I completely get that. And it's like, you know, this podcast, one of the big missions God has put on my heart is to unify Christians everywhere and end the divisiveness that keeps us all separate and alone. Because the yeah. only one that wins, as you said, in the divisiveness is the enemy, Devil, not, yeah. God, not us, right? We all lose together. And God wants to unify us as a church, the church he founded. So, John, what would you say is your number one fear about God that really messes with your head sometimes? Um, I don't really have a fear. My, I expect the only fear I have is not serving him fully or mm. completely as I should or could. Um, I'm not into that pr- pr- prosperity. You know that perfect gospel that you know they teach you. Uh, yeah. Pros- prosperity gospel, Joel. No, not Austin, prosperity, right? but more the fact that you have to be perfect for mm. God to love you. You know, like you introduce yourself as a very broken Catholic. I'd introduce myself in exactly the same state. I'm a very broken Catholic, but I'm a Catholic who's broken, who God loves and cherishes, and He loves the very bad in me as well as the good as well as the indifferent. You know, he loves every part of me. And I think that's my God. But where I feel I let him down is where I'm still selfish. I'm still greedy. I'm still looking for my sort of avenues in things. And I'd love to be just totally his. But I don't think that'll happen until I'm standing with him in heaven, you know, where, please God, I get there one day. But um, so I'm not into that where you have to be perfect but I would love to be able to serve him more fully and completely. But I don't have any fear in the way of his love and in the the way he sees me and accepts me. I get that. So Broken Catholic Nation, listen to the wisdom that John just dropped there. That is powerful. God loves even the defects that are within you. Why? Because you're his child. And the same way, if you're a parent and you love your little girl or your little boy, even though they irritate you, even though they have character flaws and defects, you still don't, you still love them. They're yours. They belong to you. They came from you. You are one with them. That's how God, your father feels about you. Always remember that. Even when you're doing ugliness, even when you're messing up like John did early in his life, like I did early in my life. God was still there loving us. We were just resistant to his love. We were blocking his love, but he was trying and pursuing us the entire time. And he's doing the same for you. John, what would you say is the best, the best faith advice that you've ever received? Um, the truth without mercy is not the truth. The truth without mercy is not the truth. Can you give us an example of what you mean? Yeah, I I was uh, into a sort of fundamental way of uh, proclaiming God's laws and God's uh, truths. And I was at dinner with a priest who I had spoke at all his masses. This is some 10 years ago, maybe even more, 15 years ago. And I said to him, what stops a priest? What stops a minister proclaiming the truth? And he said, well, what's the truth, John? And he said, I remember when Humane Vitae come out, I preached Humane Vitae word for word, which is about abortion is wrong. And he said, and I went round for a Sunday dinner to this couple who had three children, and the wife was putting my meal on the table, as she did every other Sunday. And she said, you know what you spoke about in that church, Father? You're talking to a woman who had an abortion. 
And he said, John, you could have knocked me over with a feather because I knew she had found mercy. I knew she had reconciled herself with God, but I didn't talk about mercy. And maybe there was a few other ladies sitting there who had committed that terrible um, sin, but they didn't know where to go with it because I hadn't said it. And then he said these words that changed my life. The truth without mercy is not the truth. And so we have to proclaim the truth completely absorbed in God's mercy. That, you know, the cross is there to set us free. And uh, otherwise it's not the truth. I love that. That's so powerful because I get what you're saying. It's like when we share the truth with somebody and we show them that their action was wrong, but then we don't lead them to God's mercy. We leave them incomplete and deficient. And yeah, and, we and lie now, a hammer. Yeah, and what do they do? Instead of turning to God, they turn within, yeah, right? And then it goes, it, yeah, it just festers that me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity, like you said. It's like, oh, I'm a victim. Oh, I was wrong. Oh, I'm terrible. I'm unworthy of God's yeah, and love. And they start beating themselves up with a big club that the devil loves to give us. Wow, and that's that's the, powerful. Yeah, so I think that was a massive turning point in my life. Um, yeah, and the other aspect is one that we've just covered but you don't have to be perfect. In yeah. fact, through my very weakness, did God's light shines the brightest. John, let me ask you this. When you first had your conversion, when God, when you first turned your life around, because that's where many of us tend to be sometimes, right? Many of my listeners, maybe we haven't spent 25 years traveling the world, preaching about God's love and mercy like you have, evangelizing. But take us back to those early days really quickly. What was one of your daily habits right after your conversion that helped you to win in your spiritual life and become the man you are today? Yeah, one, one person said at my first retreat, if you pray 10 minutes a day, it got to change your life. And I remember thinking, my God, 10 minutes, that is a long time to pray. <laughs> Now, I would pray, and this is no boasting, but I pray a minimum of two and a half hours a day. And I don't think I've prayed at all. But that 10 minutes, religiously sticking to starting off with 10 minutes a day where I really prayed to God and really asked God into my life, yeah, it changed my life. And it, I saw the peace that I got from that, and I wanted more peace, so I knew I had to pray more. What, what would you if, you, if you can be so personal and so transparent, right? You are just coming from all that brokenness and you're turning your life around God, with God's grace. What was like the, that one prayer from the heart that maybe you could share with our listeners that are in that same position right now, about to turn their lives over to the Lord? What was the one prayer you were saying every yeah, single day? I would say every day, I would say, I'm yours, Lord. Use me, use me in my brokenness, use me in my weakness, but use me, let me glorify you. I've spent so many years not glorifying you. Help me to glorify you. Help me to touch your heart with all the love that I can, where I was taking that away from you and from your children for so many years. Let me make up for that by touching your heart with my, um, with that love. Wow, and that really served him. That is so powerful. BC Nation, John just gave you the prayer to take to your Heavenly Father. Take that prayer every day share with him, Lord, use my brokenness, use my, my flaws, lose, use my defects, just use me to do your will in this world uh, so that you can have a meaningful and fulfilled life. John, uh, final question in this section, what's the one thing that you want the world to know about having a relationship with God? That you don't have to be perfect. 
that you can make the mistakes, you can fall down a million times. But if you have the humility to get up a million times, God's now forgive you a million times and love you more. And he said this to St. Gertrude, and I love this, but he said if two people set off at the same moment at the beginning of the day, one is perfect and doesn't do anything wrong, the other one falls down a thousand times and at the end of the day says he's sorry. He would love the one who fell down a thousand times more than one who's perfect. So, of course, straight away, St. Gertrude said, but you are meant to love unconditionally. So how can you? He said, any father who had one son who was sick or one daughter who was sick, they would love them more than the son or daughter who was well. <laughs> I loved it. That's so powerful. So Thank God that I'm sick, brother. Yeah, that's so powerful. So BC Nation, if you are sick and unwell like John and myself with your actions and what you've done in your life and you're a sinner and a broken Catholic, broken Christian, just like the rest of us, then know that you are highly favored with your father and you are actually uh, more likely to win his affection sooner than the older brother who is, you know, in the prodigal son story, who is well, who has always been there. John, welcome to, uh, before we go into the, uh, the, the confession round is what I call it. There won't be a Catholic priest here or anything like that, but we're going to have a quick, uh, question, uh, answer here. Um, you are listening, BC Nation. You're listening to John Pridmore is my guest today. He is a Catholic evangelist. He travels the world for the past 25 years. He's a former ex-London gangster, and uh, he used to get paid to hurt people and cause pain and uh, ugliness and evil in the world. And now God has transformed his life. And that's what God wants to do for you. You can find him at johnpridmore.com. He wrote a best-selling book called From Gangland to Promised Land. That's from Gangland to Promised Land. You can find that on Amazon, um, again, or find that at johnpridmore.com. John travels the world. If you're listening and um, you're a Catholic, uh, John travels to Catholic churches across the planet and gives parish missions. So if you'd like him to come to your church and speak, and I can tell you he came to my church here in Tampa, Florida. That's how I met John. That's how we became close friends. And I love this guy. Um, God is doing amazing things in his life. If you want that message firsthand with your congregation, then speak to your pastor about booking John to come to your uh, church and do a parish mission at johnpridmore.com. So John, welcome to the confession round. I'm going to ask you 12 quick fire questions. You'll have about three seconds to answer each. Don't overthink it. The first thing that comes to you. Are you ready, sir? Yep. All right, here we go. John, what's your favorite sound? Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> love it what's your least favorite sound um heavy metal, metal. It. when you were a child what did you want to be when you grew up a policeman got it like your dad john yeah. what are you most afraid of um i don't like the dark too much got it okay what did you spend way too much time doing in your 20s tv tv wasting time got it what secret fear possibly do you have about god like i said before not being able to serve him got it what do you wish you had learned sooner about god his love got that what is a new habit you want to form um <laughs> it's a bit personal <laughs> um no more uh, pornography got that that's very personal thank you for sharing that 
men struggle with this, right? And you were honest about it. You're like, hey, I'm like everyone else. I struggle with lust. It's in the book. So they've sold a million copies now. So a million people at least know it. Yeah. You know, and it's tough, uh, BC Nation. The sins of our past, unfortunately, um, still continue sometimes into our future. Even with God's grace, right? He wants us to give it, surrender everything to him, but we still struggle with it. It's like even St. Paul had the thorn in his side, you know, his whole life. Um, what, do you, what is a bad habit that you want to break? Um, I would say, um, let's say a bad habit that I want to break. Yeah, losing my temper too quickly and not being patient enough. Got it. Pick three words to describe who you are now. Um, a beloved son of God. Love that. Love that. Pick three words to describe who you were before you experienced God. Me, myself, and I. <laughs> I love it. Imagine sometime in the distant future, and John, there you are standing in front of your tombstone. Read to us what it says on it. Someone who tried to serve the most loving God you could ever meet. Love it. And last question, John, if you could come back to life after you died, and tell your family and friends only one piece of advice, what would you say to them? Give until it hurts. Give until it hurts. Love it. Again, friends, we're listening to John Pridmore. You can find him at johnpridmore.com. John, anything you want to say about your parish missions or uh, your book or anything like that? Anything you want to add to that? Go ahead. Yeah, just uh, um, anyone out there who's interested in the parish mission, I'd be very privileged and honored to come and do it. I think I've gave over 300 parish missions around the world, and they're a time of real grace and real blessing um, for the people to come. One guy who had been, he was in his 80s, and he came up to me crying on the last day of the mission, and uh, he said, thank you. And I said, it's my privilege. He said, no, no, you don't understand. I've been going to church every Sunday since I was seven. But it's at this mission that I personally met Jesus and he's changed my life. And I really think the missions are about personally meeting Jesus. Um, anyone out there who's struggling or thinks they're unworthy of God, I hope that through my story, you might know that there's no one that God can't forgive. There's no one who God doesn't accept. And he's a God who loves to forgive. So just keep on getting up. Don't be afraid of getting up. I love it. BC Nation, if God can transform John's life and use him to serve him, and he can do the same for me, he can do the same for you. So just ask him. That's all you got to do. John, thanks for joining us today. And I wish you the love, forgiveness, and transformation of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in your life. Amen. Amen. And God bless all your listeners and those watching. You got it, brother. BC Nation, imagine if you could find your purpose in the next 30 days. Head over to brokencatholic.com and I'll show you how. And while you're there, shoot me a question or a comment. That's brokencatholic.com. I'd love to answer some of your questions on the show. It's something I'm probably going to start doing uh, in the near future. So if you want your question answered on the show, head over to brokencatholic.com now. I'm Joseph Warren and you are made for greatness. So stop being a wuss and start being a winner. Have a blessed day, and I will see you right back here next week. God bless. BC Nation, you cannot show up authentically in your life without building faith in your business. If you want the business side of that conversation, I have another podcast called First 100K, where I interview successful entrepreneurs about how they made their first $100,000, because that's where I believe 90% of you are stuck and you can't break through. Go to first100k.com to find out how. 
I'm Joseph Warren. You were made for greatness. So stop being a wuss and start being a winner. Have a blessed day and I'll see you right back here next week.